This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Lead Singer Syndrome is brought to you by Rockabilia.com. With over 500,000 items and so many rare and unique pieces, Rockabilia is the best and biggest place for all your band merchandise needs. Check out Rockabilia.com today. Oh, hey, everyone. Welcome back. I hope you survived your Thanksgiving craziness. Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Who can even keep track at this point? So much stuff going on. But welcome back to another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome. As always, I'm your host, Shane Toll. I apologize. I've been a little under the weather. I've got this post-tour sickness thing that comes in. It's the weirdest thing. It's like it doesn't matter how many shows I play in a row, whatever. The second that I'm done with the tour, my voice just says, nope. Uh, you're done. You're done. It's like my brain knows I don't have any more shows, so my voice just says, nope, we're done. And uh, so I apologize if I sound a little bit hoarse. Uh, but hey, welcome back. Um, great episode this week with Toby Duncan of Trash Boat. I don't know if you know Trash Boat. They're a newer band from the UK. Um, what else? Uh, they're awesome, first of all. And they're a little different. I mean, a lot of people want to throw them in the pop-punk genre, and I don't really think it's quite as as cliche pop-punk. But of course, at the end, I will play a song, and you can judge for yourself. Before we get into that, I hope you checked out the rockabilia.com Black Friday and Cyber Monday sale. If you didn't, that's okay. Because they're still there with over 500,000 different merch items. So much rare and unique stuff. Everything is 100% licensed from the band. There's no knockoffs. It isn't like Amazon, which unfortunately, there's a lot of knockoffs on Amazon. you got to really be careful. So again, go to rockabilia.com. They're a brand new sponsor of the show. They really, really are supporting what I'm doing, what the whole Jabberjaw Media Network is doing. It's really, really great to have them. So again, it's rockabilia.com. That's rock a b i l i a dot com, and of course, if you want to help out the show, it's real easy. Uh, the best way is to join the Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club. For as little $6 a month, it gets you in the door. You get bonus episodes, Q&A sessions with me, merchandise sent to your house every few months, interaction with me and other fans of the show on the Facebook group. It really is just a good time. And, um... Of course, it is what keeps this show going week after week. We've got so many upcoming guests that are incredible, so many great conversations. I cannot wait for you to hear them all. But hey, if you want to throw me a bone, you know, give me a little love, I really do appreciate it. So check out the Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club. It is leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. Six bucks. What's six bucks now? Can you even get like a Jimmy John sandwich? I think a Jimmy John sandwich is six bucks. But what can you even get for six dollars? And I'm just asking for that once a month just to keep the dang lights on. Again, leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. Anyways, let's jump in to my conversation with Toby Duncan of Trash Boat.
Wiener Syndrome with your host. Welcome. I'm your host. I like that. that. Bias Duncan. Today we discuss UK bands and how much shittier they all are than mine. (laughs) We can start there if you want. (laughs) You really want to go there? We can do that. Most definitely. I will talk shit for the next 45 minutes. Is this a shit talking session, Toby? Is that what we're doing? (laughs) You're recording already? Yeah, fuck yeah, I'm recording. <laughs> this is this is on the record. And you don't know where I'm going to start things. I could, I could definitely start it started being right there. 20 minutes ago while I was sleeping. <sighs> Sleepy guy. Um, well, we'll see. Maybe we'll leave that in. Maybe we won't, but hey. Um, Toby, so good to have you, man. Good to be On yeah. Lead Singer Syndrome. Here we are. Fuck yeah. In Munich, Germany on the last day of a tour which has been... Pretty good, man. Have Pretty you had a good. good time? We've had a very good time. Like Europe is always like a great place to tour because they just take real good care of you, and you get like decent food and you get like a cooked meal every night, so you don't have to worry yeah. about like being fed and like going to McDonald's every night because you can't afford to eat anywhere else or some shit like that. Totally. Even though well, they go to McDonald's every day anyway. All right. Well, I go there for the free Wi-Fi. Right, uh, but then like yesterday I went, morning, I got up kind of early and I had some work to do, so I went to the to the McDonald's and um, uh, they were like they kept like like walking past me like giving me the stink eye yeah because I hadn't bought anything yet. Get the hell out of here. It's like ah fuck, and then I was like wait a second, it's Germany, I can buy a veggie burger. This is great. They, do they do a veggie burger in Germany? Yeah, I see. I keep looking at their menu. I know that in Belgium, McDonald's in Belgium. In fairness to them, go in. They've got like Satan chicken burgers, whole veggie range on the menu. Yeah. Germany, I haven't seen nothing. I normally go in. And- Austria, they have a vegan McChicken. Yeah, that's the same one in Belgium. Yeah, yeah. it's like so good. And mm. um, it's funny because I was reading an article, like literally just the other day, about how the McVegan is coming and they're like testing it in Finland or something. Yep. And everyone's like freaking out. And I'm like, wait a second. Like, Almost every country I feel has yeah. a vegan option at McDonald's, except well, it, for America and Canada. Yeah, and I guess America the UK sucks, but America has Taco Bell, so it's all good. It does. Taco Bell's amazing. Taco Bell's. The one. I literally survived on Taco Bell in the U.S. I had it every day. We used to eat it. That used to be our thing when yeah when we were Silverstein was touring like back in the van days. That's what we did too, and we would eat we would eat Taco Bell literally two to three times a day. Because it was the only way we could get by. Like we used to per DM ourselves, and we didn't have any money or anything. But we per DM ourselves five dollars a day. Five dollars is all you need in Taco Bell, and that's all you need. You get a cup of water, and then you go and you just put Coke in it, anyways. Yeah, uh, or sorry, Pepsi. Standard. Uh, yeah, or um, or Mountain Dew, um, Baja Blast. Baja. See, um, I like Baja Blast, but the original Mountain Dew is just better. Okay. I end up getting diet because I end up just pussying out and not wanting sugar. But You're a skinny guy. You can you can use a little sugar my, in your life. It's maybe. my teeth. You know? Oh yeah, does yeah. it fuck your teeth? Sugar. I whenever I drink or eat something real sugar because I have like a sweet tooth. I, yeah, I enjoy my sugar, so I try and limit it wherever I can because like there's just no enamel left on my teeth. Like I got like, oh. my teeth are like not falling out, but they're sensitive. You know. Well, it's funny you say that. Yeah, like for me too. I when I was a kid, I used to drink a lot of sugary pop like all the time. We call it pop in Canada, pop. and um. At some point, I don't remember. I remember I like woke up one time, and I hadn't like I, it wasn't like morning, but I like hadn't eaten, and I had like a full sugar, you know, full fat Coke, and my stomach like started like killing me, like really, really hurting. And ever since that moment, if I ever, if pretty much, I'd say most of the time I have a Coke unless it's like like way in the evening and I've eaten like a couple meals, 
it hurts my stomach. I don't. I guess it must be the sugar, because right now, I actually, as we speak, I have a Coke Zero Coke right Zero. here, and it's fine. I can drink this shit like all day in the morning, all day I'm fine. So it's got to be the sugar, I guess. Well, I'm not like I fucking love sugar so much. I could just, I could just have full sugar cokes, chocolate sweets, all that kind of stuff. I could, and I want to, but <laughs> I am a bit more strict with myself because I feel like I should be. But you know, I just like don't want to be. Uh, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, like when I was a kid, I just used to just chew ice lollies. I could just bite right into ice with my teeth, no worries. And now I drink like a cup of tepid water, and my teeth just sting. So it must, uh, and I, br- I brush twice a day. I brush like I take good care of my teeth. Famous last words, but I still just have really sensitive teeth, and it well, must be because of the sugar that I eat. So who knows, man? But maybe, no, but you're I'm right. You're definitely right about Germany taking care of of us, and it is great. In the UK, it's like you know, you, like we're playing pretty small rooms on this tour, relatively speaking. Like you know, we're not playing massive halls, like like in Germany like we typically do where they really take care of you but even though like tonight it's only 300 cap room we're still gonna get taken care of we still have a great dressing room a shower a full rider a beautiful dinner we have all that the UK you play 300 people they're like uh, who are you? Are you even supposed to be here? All right, whatever. There's a closet for you to put your shit in. Yeah, and up. here's a half, like, here's 12 bottles of warm-ass beer and go fuck yourself. We here's played, five quid, maybe. We played a bit. It wasn't our show. It was a support show, but it was only us and one other band. But it was a big show at a big venue um, in Oxford. And in our dressing room, there was a pile of napkins, some plastic cutlery, and a big, like, thing of table salt. <laughs> and that was it. Like we had to ask for water, so we had just water and salt. That's supporting or that's headlining? That was supporting, but it was supporting like it was about two thousand. Well, maybe a bit less actually. Maybe a thousand. Somewhere See, between thousand. I put that on the headlining band, though. I mean, it's up to the headlining band. Like they, a venue, any venue in the world, pretty much that's got two thousand people coming out, they've got something sorted with the catering budget, and that's up to them to to throw you a bone. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, but well, hey. Well, we sold out the Underworld and still got like a, we got like a rider, but it was like, you know, yeah. chips. But Underworld's dead. like what, like 500, I think. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it, there is always obviously a big difference as you climb up the ladder. And speaking of climbing up the ladder, Trash Boat starting to pick up some heat. We're doing okay. A uh, band that, that I, you know, I'll admit I heard of uh, first because our drummer is your manager. And, you know, he's uh, been our manager pretty much, well, since our band's obs- uh, <laughs> obsession, Inception. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so so um, it's it's a really cool, cool story because I feel like you guys have gone just from, you know, a, a small band from the London suburbs to, you know, a band really starting to pick up some steam and doing some things and um, all over the world for sure. But but in the UK, especially now picking up some some major heat we, how's that feel i mean like it's great like it's literally what i wanted to do with my life like when i was a kid it was the one thing i wanted to do and now it's happening like obviously it's incredible and like you i feel you feel like there should be something a bit more tangible whenever you achieve your dreams but you like it's great like it's it's exactly what I want to be doing with my life right now. What do you mean by tangible exactly? You mean like well, money, you know, like money and and no, riches no, 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 no. and, like and an treasure act- and gold? No, like an actual like that 
first time you took MDMA glow. <laughs> you know, that feeling. I've never taken MDMA. No, you never had it. I have right. not, but I, I you know, heard like, it's great stuff. It's, it's, it's fake happiness, man. It's right there. I think maybe that's like soiled my, my like, it's my, that's now my frame of reference for like a good feeling. I'm not shitting on it. Wow. Isn't that a bit, isn't that a it's, bit kind of like it's, fuck, fucking terrible? It's kind of sad, isn't yeah. it? I've, I've taken it like three or four times in my life, but whatever. It's like, okay. I, I don't care. I don't care if you've taken it three or four hundred yeah. times or a thousand times. It doesn't but matter it's to me like, at all. But um, when, you, when you think about your uh, your dreams as a child and you think like when, when you're like 15 and you're like, oh, all I want to do is be in a band. And I, I said this and I said this uh, at Underworld <laughs> when we were doing, um, we have a thing called UCAS, which is like you fill out stuff and you pick your universities and like your A-levels and what you want to do when you are thinking about going to university. And being the snot-nosed little kid that I was, I was sat just like not really filling it out, not really paying attention because I was thinking like, I just want to be in a band. I just want to like tour. And I said to my form tutor at the time and to my friends that if I could be in a band that sold out the Camden Underworld, I'd be happy. And we literally did that like a month ago. And I legitimately did say that because that is like a forefront in my my memory. It's funny that you can even... Like at that point in your life, you even knew what like being in a band selling out a room like even meant. Like yeah. that's such an industry thing. Like I, yeah, I, when yeah, I was yeah. a kid going to shows and being a fan of a band, I never like sure like maybe I'd look around and be like, oh, like this, there's a lot of people at the show or like the show's kind of empty. But I didn't really care. Yeah. But for you to have that thought of like, oh yeah, like that's you know a goal, mm. it's kind of crazy. But but let's let's go back to those days because talk to me a little bit about you know your upbringing. Talk to me where, about where you grew up, like what your family structure was like. I know you speak of your family quite often in your lyrics and stuff. So sure. talk to me about a little bit about your family and your, your upbringing. I had the most basic, vanilla, awesome upbringing ever. Youngest of three. Uh, my parents, they're just great. They're just really chill. Um, they, they, like... My brother used to call me Golden Balls because he used to think that I got away with everything because I and like he thought it was because I was the third child and that uh, I just got away with everything because they couldn't be bothered. But I realized quite early because my two older brothers are eccentric and they I don't know like they they used, they used to like get in arguments and get in trouble with my parents a lot and I kind of realized that if you're generally just like quite an agreeable child. If they ask you to do something, just do it. No questions, no arguments. It builds up like some brownie points, you know? <laughs> so it means that if I want to do something stupid a little bit later, they're like, oh, it's okay, because he's normally quite good. And I kind of, because that, that was like the opposite of how my brothers acted. Right. I kind of figured that out. So I was just like really chill. If they were like, can you walk the dogs? I'd be like, yep, immediately. No questions. Like, can you do this for me? Can you do that? I'd be like, yep, yep, yep. And then when I'm like, if I got in trouble. Bring on the MDMA. Yeah, yeah if, I, if I like wanted to go and party or if I kind of fucked up at school or whatever it, like I got in trouble for sure but I was just like they were just like yeah no it's all good because you're just you're quite agreeable generally and that's how I ended up getting away with doing a lot of stupid shit and that's how I ended up talking my parents into not being hugely disappointed in me when I said I didn't want to go to university to study something quote unquote worthwhile mm-hmm. and I wanted to try being in a punk rock band but when you were in school and stuff, like you say, you were kind of doing, you know, appeasing your parents and, and doing, following the rules, mm-hmm. um, maybe getting a little bit of trouble, whether they were privy to that or not. Like, were you a good student in school? Did you get pretty good grades? Yeah, or was yeah, it yeah. pretty much you were just thinking about I would music? tell you what, I was a real good student in primary school. So up until the age of about like 11, 12, I was like, you know, fucking top of the class, 
paid attention, got really good grades and all that kind of stuff. I got like we have a thing called an eleven plus, which is like, and you take your eleven plus if you get a good score on the eleven plus, you go to a good school. If you get okay. a bad score, you go to a, well, a, I'm not gonna say a bad school, but like not the school of your choice. I got a great score. I went to the exact school that I wanted, and from then on, I just started to develop interests in things that weren't as academic as school. Uh, and just started to pay attention just a bit less. My grades didn't, I didn't fail anything. Like mm-hmm. I passed everything that I took, but I, you know, I just kind of. So what were these things that by. were, were kind of like, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, um, well, my, my parents are so classic. They were just like, we want you to be a doctor or a lawyer. Like it sounds cliche, mm-hmm. but they were literally saying stuff like that. Uh, I was studying chemistry, uh, and chemistry, maths and physics were probably like, my strongest even though I wasn't like a genius or like I didn't have like a particular aptitude and I had applied to go to university to study I think it was forensic chemistry okay wow at Birmingham and I got accepted in Plymouth University as well and I think there was one other that I went to see but it was um it was when I went down to Plymouth with my mum and we walked around the uni and we went to look at the halls that I'd be living in and just to look at the university and look at the course. And it was like a four and a half hour drive and about an hour into looking around this university, I was just like, I just don't want to do this. I just don't want to be here. I don't want to study forensics yet. I want to try something else first because yeah. if I go to uni and if I study whatever... And then I come out of uni at 21, 22, and then decide to take a break and try something else. It you know it might be too late by that point. I'm like 18 now. If I'm going to do something stupid and like try and make it or whatever. And by stupid, you mean music. Yeah. <laughs> For up. all the people listening. Straight yes. up. Yes, so if you want to be stupid, try stupid. to do what we do. Um, but okay. Think- but, but like, so I'm just trying to get a picture of it. So during this whole time when you were in high school... You were playing in bands. Like, what yeah. was going on? I was playing in real shitty bands. I was in a lot of metal bands because, like, I, what my brother? And you were singing, or are you playing? Like, were you playing instrument or anything? Yeah, I, I played guitar. I wasn't good enough at guitar to be in the kind of band that I was in at the time. So I, I started out playing guitar because my brother, my oldest brother, got me into music. He's like the reason why I listen to the music that I do. Uh, and you know, he he always used to listen to like Metallica, Rage Against the Machine, Pantera. So yeah. I got started at quite an early age with with that. Started playing guitar because he started because he was playing guitar. I actually tried to play drums first, but that was very short lived because I realised that I didn't have rhythm or I didn't stick at it long enough to to get it. I just gave up drums okay, quite quickly sure. yeah. and then went to guitar. Uh, and then being a teenager, I was joining a bunch of metal bands, a bunch of hardcore bands. All of them sucked, but at the same time, they were great. You know, they were a lot of great fun. Uh, and then I started screaming in some metal bands. This is about age 17-ish. Uh, none of none of these bands, like, recorded anything substantial or played any, like, shows that were worthwhile. Uh, and then I played guitar in, like, an easy core band and sang backup. What's easy core? Like... Me by- <laughs> Forgive my ignorance. No, I really don't it's know like, what, it's like what pop, easy core is. Pop punk, pop punk with like breakdowns. So like Chunk No Captain Chunk or Me vs Hero or Kid Liberty. Okay, old in her own words, stuff like that. A day to remember could be considered easy core. Okay, okay, good to know. I learned something today. Yeah, right. Um, and then I was singing backup in that, and I'd always had like I knew I could sing like a little bit, but I never really considered singing as like a thing that I would do. 
and then that band kind of caved in i joined an emo band playing guitar and we uploaded like a cover of a song just like a really crappy acoustic cover just to our facebook page when we first started out and that's where ryan found me uh-huh. and sent me a message being like look our band's just broken up we need a new singer do you want to come and sing and i was like yeah because i had nothing else going I and how like, old were you at this point Ooh, must have been about i think 20 so you were already past this 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 conversation I was, yeah, I was when working. you went to Plymouth and everything. Yeah. So So when you were but this is what's interesting to me. So when you were you talk about you were in these bad metal bands yeah. and they weren't really going anywhere, but you still had some sort of insight when you were a teenager about to go to uni, like you still had some insight that like that was what you wanted to do. Absolutely. So what were you doing between when you told your mom like, sorry mom I'm not going to do this. Sorry, mom. It was uh, it was a sorry mom moment. I, right, like, I totally and I dude, I can believe I can relate to this too. Yeah, my story is very very similar to yours yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah. But um, I just kind of I'm kind of trying to put together this timeline of like it's like at that point when you're like sorry mom, you're at Plymouth and you're like I don't want to do this. Did you have anything going on? Because Trashboat didn't come till later. Yeah, no, Trashboat was about like two or three years off. Which is that. crazy to me. So like yeah. that you had still had the insight to be like, okay, I want to do this, even though you hadn't had any I glimmer just, of success or no, really it, by your own uh, admission any talent really. No, I hadn't. I hadn't even really played a show that was bigger than like a pub show at that point. Yeah, like. that's like really crazy because because yeah. a lot of times you hear about those people that are like, I knew I was going to make it. I didn't, God, like no. you know what I mean. There are people, but you, but you kind of are like that because in knew, a way you sort of threw away some easy roads for a very unknown road. I knew I wanted to try. That right. was my big thing. Like I, because after school, when I had the sorry mum moment, and she was, you know, she was like, oh, I wanted to, you know, be able to introduce you as Doctor Duncan. I was just like, oh yeah, boy, yeah, I'll do. It. Thing is, but this is the thing. This goes back to the, me saying that you know, building up brownie points and all that kind of stuff. Like I've always been quite sure of myself and I was sure of myself to the point where I successfully convinced my mum that I wasn't just throwing my life away that I was going to give this like a real shot mm-hmm. and I was I, I wasn't like having arguments with her just being like this is all I want to do this is all I ever want to do I was like look realistically if I'm going to try and be in a band I need to make some kind of wave before before I'm pushing 30. So I was like, look, if, if, if I get to like 27, 28, and I still haven't really been in any kind of project that's done anything, you have my word that I will I will pursue something different because of clearly it's not worth it. If it's been like 10 years and it's not going for it, which could be said to be a silly thing to say because I didn't rush. They were like a bar band for like 20 years before they got discovered. But whatever. That's what I told her. Right, was, right. And she was like, look, that's fine. Just do your thing for a bit. So when I came out of school, I just worked. I got a job where I worked at a hotel that was like just up the road from my house for a bit. And then I worked uh, just in customer care for a fashion company called ASOS, just like yep. answering emails and stuff. But the whole time I was looking for bands, right. looking for projects. What about this um, this whole driving other bands around thing? Because I, I understand that that's, even when we're, like we're right now, for people to get perspective, we're hanging out on our European bus, which is kind of like a, Mer- it's a Mercedes Benz, like, I don't even look. know how you describe it. It's like a very, very, very big van. It's like, a bandwagon, I think we. It's kind it. of like a bandwagon. Yeah. It's maybe not quite the same size for anyone that even knows what a bandwagon is. Yeah, yeah. Because that's yeah. not really like that's a, definitely everyone in the music industry knows what a bandwagon is, but Bigger I don't know if regular people do. Bus. But it's it's basically like a big, kind of looks like a milk truck. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, we came on here and there was some guy being like asking us 
and you're like, oh yeah, like I, you know, kind of want to get one of these, and I was like, oh right, because you used to drive bands around. Mm-hmm. Was that something that you've done recently, or was that something you something did I still before? Do. And you still do I it? I still do it. Yeah, yeah. I well, when I worked for uh, ASOS, it was night work, so I worked from eight p.m. until seven a.m. Okay. So it was eleven hours yeah, overnight. That's pretty intense. Which kind of sucked in the winter because I didn't sure. get to see the sun, but. And, like, my social life, like, I'm not, like, a big go out, drop hundreds on booze and spend <laughs> loads. I never really spent any money on clothes. Uh, I'm not a big spender. Like, you know, I'm sat here in Nike tracksuit that somebody left in the van after I drove them that I've just commandeered <laughs> a T-shirt. So up. that's why you drive bands, for the free clothing. Dude, the amount of free stuff I've got that people... And the thing is, every time people leave shit in the van, I'm like, oh, you guys left shit in the van. Do you want it? And they're like, dude, don't worry about it. So I'm just like, free, it's mine. <laughs> I think these socks um, Sophie gave me because she found them in her suitcase. So I've taken these socks. This T-shirt is something a friend designed. They gave me for free. And the only thing I'm wearing that I've paid for right now is these sliders, which I would pay for again because they were... The Adidas uh, yeah, flip-flops? Adidas, look at those Right there, they're so comfortable. Fongs, feel, feel as that. some people may call them, feel that. Oh. That is like the most comfortable thing ever. Ooh, that is nice. Rules. That's nice. But um, yeah, so I was working nights, and I wasn't dropping loads of money on a social life. I wasn't like living it up. I was living really stringently. Uh, I still hung out with my friends, but it was all real chill. And I saved probably like eighty percent of my paycheck every month. Just put it away, put it to the side. So I was paying for food. Uh, and just living in general. Mm-hmm. And then after about a year and a half, two years of um, ASOS, and about halfway through working at ASOS, I joined Trash Boat. Okay. And we still we hadn't like done anything, but we were practicing and we were writing yep. songs and it was kind of getting there. And we started to play shows and it was more shows than I'd ever played before. And I had all this money. I had about like... 15,000 pounds saved up so that was like a good chunk and I was like right if I I'm just gonna take this band seriously and if I'm gonna have the time because like every time I asked for a day off to play a show or some holiday like I'd used up all my holiday and I was arguing yeah, yeah. so I was like right I need a job where I work for me I can pick it up and drop Smart. it at any moment yeah. and I can like you know not be held back so I bought a van you bought a splitter bought a splitter got it converted and i started driving other bands because i i played a few shows i'd met a few other bands i was like you know you know me i'm in another band i can give you like a good rate it keeps me connected to the scene yeah and it's worked so far i haven't made any money it's not like it's not the shit like i haven't hit a gold mine with it I haven't really lost money. I've kind of just kept myself level, which yeah, is fine. Yeah, you probably pay, for your, pay for your van and yeah. some of your, you know, stuff like that. Um, and you've driven some like pretty notable bands, right? Yeah, I, uh, I can't really say I've driven the one. The Wonder Years have been in my van. I did merch for the Wonder Years, and I drove them around. <laughs> it's like they weren't paying me, but they were paying someone with a splitter, and they were saying like, "Dude, next time we come over, we're gonna, okay, we're okay, gonna, we're gonna hire you." So I'll say I've driven the Wonder Years just because it's cool, but. <laughs> um, uh, Moose Bloods. Yeah, they're back in the pretty, day. Live in the UK now. Yeah, yeah, they won't right. be needing your services anymore, unfortunately. Um, who else can I think? Of? Dead. Dead are good friends of mine. Of course, I've driven my band around a lot. I normally just do like uh, tours for like people that I like. I either know or managers yeah, that I sure, know sure, that sure, have sure. bands that need that need driving. No, that's cool, and I guess that's something you still do, like. Do you find being in a band that's touring all the time and you guys have done, you know, US tours and you're in Europe and the UK 
and you guys went to Australia too, didn't you? We've just come back from Australia. And, yeah. and so, you know, being all over the world, are you still going to feel like okay with yourself being like, all right, I just got back from this tour. Like you even just said to me as you we were walking out here, like I'm very ready to go home. Is it going to be like, all right, that your kind of second job is like, I'm back in the van, I'm on tour, I'm driving people around. Like, or is that going to be something you're maybe going to stop doing? See, I love it because I just like the detachment. Like, yeah, I like having like a home base for sure. And I am the kind of guy that's liable to just, you know, hunker down and chill. But that could be considered a problem because I could just chill a bit too much. So I like the fact that my job and my hobby pulls me away from home for like nine months out of the year because it makes me appreciate the time I get at home more. And then whenever I start feeling myself kind of slipping back into like a bit too much of a chill mode, it makes me appreciate going back out on tour. So I've got like a really good balance going cool. on right now. Oh, sounds and great. I'm enjoying it. I just got sent awesome new wireless earbuds from Raycon. I opened the box, opened up my phone, and literally in less than a minute, I was jamming out to my favorite tunes. What struck me right away was how well these fit. And then how amazing they sound. Definitely more bass than my other wireless headphones. But the biggest game changer is the price. The E25 earbuds they sent me start at half the price of other premium wireless earbuds on the market, have six hours of playtime, and really are super comfortable, whether it's music, conference calls, or binging this podcast. And there's no dangling wires or stems to distract other people if you're on a video call. The company was co-founded by Ray J and celebrities like Snoop Dogg, Mike Tyson, and Melissa Etheridge are just a few people obsessed with Raycons. Whether you're working from home or working on your fitness, you want what you're listening to to be what you're listening to, not the other distractions from the room. Everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds, but before you drop hundreds of dollars on a pair, check out wireless earbuds from Raycon. Now's the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash LSS. That's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash LSS for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buyraycon.com slash LSS. If you're in tech, you've been there before. Feeling the pain of hiring a freelancer or new employee for designer development only to find out months later that it's not a fit. And those types of mistakes aren't cheap. Instead, Mutual Mobile, a digital technology consultancy, uses the process it's developed over the past 10 years, delivering over 600 client projects to ensure your fast and beautiful mobile or web app is finished on time and within budget. Mutual Mobile has built apps for numerous companies that have been acquired, such as Eero, acquired by Amazon, FlexDrive, acquired by Lyft, and MapMyFitness, acquired by Under Armour. You get a dedicated team to help you with your tech project from start to finish, from ideation to product shipment to maintenance and everywhere in between. Mutual Mobile designs and builds beautiful mobile and web apps that increase the value of your business. If you have design or development needs, schedule a free 30-minute consultation at mutualmobile.link slash LSS to get started. That's M-U-T-U-A-L-M-O-B-I-L-E dot L-I-N-K slash L-S-S. 
S-S to get started with your free consultation today. And, and you speak of the Wonder Years. I know um, uh, my very good friend, Soupy, is also your very good friend, uh, a great dude, and guy. had a big role um, in your first record as the producer and kind of a mentor. Um, that must have been kind of crazy. Like, talk about going from not like being a kid that didn't want to go to school playing in shitty metal bands to getting picked up by Trash Boat, all of a sudden Hopeless Records is calling and the singer of Wonder Years is producing your first record. That's what what a journey For to sure. have in such a short time. Well run me through how that how that all kinda happened. Metal was my first love. Like metal is where my music taste originated and I was I I was that fourteen year old kid that was YouTubing top 10 heaviest beatdowns so I could find the next absolute heaviest band. That was that was how I found like a lot of my music, which is sad to admit, but they found me some sick hey bands. Hey man, so I, I like don't heavy care. music, obviously. Um, and, you know, from there, I found a day to remember. A day to remember when my first like toe in the water in terms of um, pop punk goes. Sure. And then I just Easy core, if you will. Easy core. Yes. I kind of discovered uh, from there that like, you know, I, I, I like... I like a tight melody, like I like pop punk as well. Mm-hmm. Started listening to a bunch of pop punk bands. Got really, really like super duper into a day to remember. Four years strong. The Wonder Years, um, like in particular, were very unanimously liked amongst my friends at the time. They were like, you know, if we couldn't find anything to put on, put on the Wonder Years. Polar Bear Club, Title Fight. Nice, yeah. Like just, I, I like I like pop punk a lot, and I like you know was expanding my music taste the whole time. And um, so joined Trashboat, played our first few shows, uh, played more shows. Eventually, after about a year, got the offer from Hopeless, released that EP. So how did that happen? You sent them a demo, or like no, they, I wonder how the hell bands even get signed anymore. And they, I know a lot of listeners are aspiring musicians, and they're wondering, like, well, I'm, maybe my band's pretty good. I want to get on Hopeless. Like, what did you guys do? They just got in touch with us. I like if I were to guess, it would be that obviously. Uh, Neck Deep had just recently blown up. There was a big old spotlight on UK bands, mm-hmm. and they must have just decided that we stood out in some. some so you way. had a little bit of heat going on on the internet. On you know, your- we. I mean, we weren't playing shows where people were like legitimately coming. Well, not shows, but, but I mean, just like on the internet, like yeah, like we know. we we have like a an engaging live performance. Like I like to kind of leave it all on the stage. I put mm-hmm. as much energy as I physically can in, and we must have just. You know, someone must have just suggested it. I don't know. We just got that email one day and we were just like, yeah. (laughs) And that was the only label that contacted you guys? You didn't have Uh, a million offers like you hear about sometimes? I don't think we got a million offers. I think once we got the offer from Hopeless or once the word got out that we got the offer from Hopeless, I think there probably would have been like a few other offers floating around. But uh, we ended up choosing Hopeless. Cool. Great label. Good label, good dudes. Um, so then, I guess that that was the easy connection with the Wonder Years because uh, obviously the Wonder Years have been on Hopeless since they're uh, you know they got discovered like you guys did. Yeah, yeah. Obviously now they're they're one of the you know biggest forces in pop punk for sure. Um, and how did that happen with uh, with Soupy? Did you guys ask about it? Did they suggest it? Did he ask about it? It was do kind you, of a combination know? of all of them. Like yeah. we we were just about to start writing our first album and like hopeless told us that soupy was interested in producing for a band and mm-hmm. 
there was just like emails back and forth just being like if he were interested would you be interested and I'm sure they were like if they were interested would you be interested and we were just like yeah fuck yeah like absolutely that sounds like something that would really help us we knew that having uh having an outside opinion of that caliber would help us to like write the best album that we could and we got hooked up like over facebook and it started with like we'd already had we had most of the well not most we had a handful of songs written and we'd just send the songs to him and i'd just be like i was thinking about putting this melody here and he may be like yeah that's cool maybe you could like just drop that first note and then like have a little build up there and i'd be like yes and we were just bouncing ideas off each other like that uh and then two weeks before we a week before we recorded the album he came over and he stayed with us and we did pre-production every day in the Pioneer in St. Albans where we set up like a full band thing. We played all the songs all together and then we just were just like, oh, we should put like a fill here or maybe we could like change this chord sequence, just like minor changes mm-hmm. like that. And then he came to the studio with us for the first week while I did vocals and was just there helping me, like making sure I was recording the best vocals I could, making sure I was performing properly and just stuff like that was it weird for you like having a guy that you know you talk about as a kid listening to their records you're like oh, i don't know we don't know what else to put on let's put on the wonder years because everyone likes this this it's been sick was it weird being like this is my first record and this guy is listening to my not just like like i'm trying to like let all these listeners that are listening to this like understand what it's like when you're in a booth alone and you're you have this microphone and literally like Everyone can hear every subtle nuance and breath. And, like, if you have something in your fucking teeth, they can hear it oh, through yeah. the monitor speakers. And to have a big influence of yours and a guy that you look up to literally critiquing you, that must have been. Was that hard, like, for you to. to, to how did. Was it just that something that took a while to get over to be like, hey, I have to perform and this is my record too not just i'm singing in front of my you know idol kind of it no, must I mean, have been really weird i loved every second of it because Great. i would like from like from the moment it was suggested my first thought was hell yes i need to absorb some skills from this guy like yeah. this guy has been doing it for however long he's released consistently good material that i've enjoyed He's an incredible vocalist. I am not an incredible vocalist. And he could, like, help me. Yeah. He could help me, like, be better than I am. And he did. And, uh, like, I've only been getting better. Like, I'm I'm the best I have ever been now. And it's because being on tour and playing this many shows is the discipline that I don't have at home to sing every day and practice singing every day and, like, figure out new things about my voice that I couldn't do before that I different ways to breathe and different ways to push it and like i should do that at home every day but i don't because i want to chill but <laughs> it, it was on um it was on the newfound tour because we played like nearly 50 shows yeah i want to ask you about that tour for sure yeah go ahead. and i was like singing almost every day and like playing around with my voice and like really trying to get like a bit more grit and trying to do like more of a shout and when we f- recorded the first album, like I couldn't shout at all. Like all the shouts on the first album is me trying to shout and not knowing how. And now I know how. So I'm stoked to record the next record because now I can like shout properly. I think there's something to be said for performing live, uh, being so much different than performing um, in a studio and performing, you know, in a practice space. Mm. There's something about when you're there 
and something will come over you and it's like there's an adrenaline and like I'll come out and I'll just be like yelling at the crowd and I'm not a particularly loud yelling kind of <laughs> guy but I get in that environment and all of a sudden this comes out of me and it's the same way when you're like on stage I think some of my best screaming I've ever done is on stage oh I sound so much better what is up with than that? I do in the stu- I, I freeze up in the studio I guess or I don't know what it is it's just like the environment isn't you don't have the same passion but I will say this when you're doing it live and and all of a sudden it kind of comes out of you and you're like oh shit that's hmm. it you do learn to harness that a little bit for sure and I think that that's probably why now your your ability is improving because you're understanding that there it's it's not ju- it's a physical thing but you need a certain emotional level to capture it if that makes any sense it's the volume it's like it's the intensity of it like if i am singing at home and i turn everything up like way too loud so i can barely hear myself i feel like i'm singing better and like yeah when i jump on stage and i can like move around cuz like when i sing I, I sing with like my body if that sounds really weird like no, so I if, totally understand if what I'm you doing mean. like a big note so if I'm going to go for like a high note like I bring my arms in I like tense up and I'm like yeah. I can feel it I can feel it everywhere and when you're in the studio you're kind of stood real still and like you've got your hands on the on the earphones and you're trying to like get your mouth in front of the mic and you're kind of, I'm just stood so so still and it feels static I feel static and then I feel like my vocals are a bit more static like yeah. I we I like I get I get it good but and obviously it's not you can't treat recording like a show like I couldn't hold the mic and cup the mic and like run around and like right. scream because there would be it, it wouldn't sound consistent. I've heard of guys recording in studios with holding a mic. I would love to like ah. my band would chastising me because I said I wanted to hold the mic the next and they were like no it's going to be a really inconsistent recording no one does that you're literally an people idiot people do do that it. and literally it's not- Jordan from Newfound Glory came in the room as we were having the argument and he was like yeah I held the mic and I was like <laughs> no so I, I will say I actually don't I don't hold the mic I use well if I use a you know an SM7 you know the, the mic I think I saw I see a picture of you with one uh, one maybe but, um, you know, like the black, long, yeah. sure mic, like yeah, everybody yeah. uses it. It's a great mic, and it's only like $350. This is not an ad for sure. <laughs> However, if Sure wants to sponsor the podcast, I'm right here. I'm right here. You're speaking into a Sure First, right now, Mike. Oh, good that's, old a, SM58, that's a beta, right beta, beta 58, actually. Beta 58. So, and New his model. voice sounds great, doesn't it? Okay, Sure, great mics. Anyways, <laughs> when I do, um, when I record, if I use that mic, I do actually hold the mic. Yeah. I don't, it's on a stand, but I. I like kind of brace myself around it. I I need to engage my. It's so weird right? how like my arms are tied to my voice. Yeah, like I need to be able to engage my arms to sing. But no, properly. I've heard I've heard a lot of people like some famous people like maybe Jordan too. I've just literally they hold an SM58. Yeah, and that's what they they record. He was and, he said he held the mic for like the last however many records, and I was just like yes. And I the hold. Uh, and like my my favorite one was Lemmy. We when we, the record the producer we worked with with uh, a few of our records also did all the Motorhead records. Cool. And Lemmy, if you ever watch a video of Motorhead, he stands there and he looks up. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And the mic I comes down that. into his mouth, and it's a it's a SM57 that he uses, oh, like a mic you put on a guitar cab or a yeah, snare yeah, drum. Yeah. And he and in the studio, literally, he stands there. He doesn't have a bass on, but he stands there and he. Sings upwards into the mic in the fucking studio. So G, incredible. So G. So, anyone that wants to tell you there's a rule about how to do it, there's no rules, man. Yeah, there's no rules. And 
I think Lemmy probably does that the same the for the same reason or sorry did that rest in peace Lemmy, but um, uh, for the same reason that that we're talking about you're trying yeah. to harness an energy that you've acquired or you've you've witnessed in a live environment into a studio for sure because that's what rock music is rock music doesn't exist because of the fucking studio it it exists because people would pour into this little club and you would fucking go crazy yeah that's where screaming came from like i definitely like with the last album because uh soups was only there for a week so we had to do the vocals yeah. while he was there really so that means i did vocals every day wake up at 9 a.m start vocals by 10 30 in the morning that can't run for me what i yeah. couldn't fucking do that i'm saying like 10 30 in the morning isn't happening i, I was i was waking up crack of dawn necking like a big old fat mug of like lemon and ginger tea really just just trying to warm up my voice in an hour yeah and what i would normally need about 12 hours like a whole day to warm it up because normally i don't like singing before like 4 p.m if we have like an acoustic session that's like midday i'm like oh, it's gonna just sound crap. sure or like if there's a festival slot that's yeah. earlier it's always a pain I in the ass you gotta it. get up early and try like, <laughs> yeah, like you know day. it's it's the worst and i'm I'd, with you and i'd be getting and it was it was like december january so it was cold yeah and uh by you know i'd done i'd do like however many takes do like a whole song and then like it'd be 2 p.m we'd go for lunch and i'd have like another whole song to do and my voice would just be like fully worn out i think we got like we got some good stuff but i was definitely leaving the studio feeling that it wasn't as consistent as i'd like right with the next record we've already been in discussions with uh with producers as to how i would like to record the vocals definitely has got to be just like in the evening whether we do like guitars first or whatever like mm-hmm. I, i've, I've got to like have my voice at my best for this one i i mean yeah and and like this is lead singer syndrome podcast so we typically talk about how hard our lives are <laughs> and um but you know let's be honest people aren't really listening to the fucking you know bass as much as they're listening to the vocals <laughs> and it's important and uh i always like with our records yeah like typically we'll do record guitars in the morning mm. and then after we've done guitars for a couple of days we'll start doing the vocals even when not all the guitars on the record like we'll we'll do the guitars on a yep. few songs and then do the vocals in the in the um, afternoons or the evenings and also that gives you as a singer a lot it, it gives it's a lot less stressful on you because then you're not like worrying about doing it all in the last week yeah that's what that's... happens if if it's like okay we've done drums guitars bass all right you've got like Hey man, you've got ten days to do vocals. It's plenty of time. Well, what happens if like I'm burnt out or I'm worn out? I got burnt out like almost every day. You lose day. your voice. Yeah. And then what? You're fucked. Like for us, like we the last record we did, the uh, Silver Scene, the Dead Reflection record, we weren't recording on Sundays and we weren't really recording on Saturdays. So Fridays, and if we did record on Saturdays, was all screaming. Mm. So I could fucking go as hard as I wanted on Friday and I know I'd have time to rest. Screaming, weirdly you know, enough, is like the best warm up for me. That's very weird. That's like I I always do like just a, a few minutes of solid screaming because it seems to just like I don't know. It does something that makes me sing just like clear. Like maybe it's just clearer by comparison. Well, your voice, I would say, has been changing from record to record. Absolutely. I'd say it's been, like it's, it's been changing from tour to tour. It, like yeah, it, it's kind of amazing, and I think. I mean, that's cool, and I totally welcome that change, but I'm sure, like, as a 
person that's trying to form a career with a band and has fans. You don't want someone to hear the new Trash Boat song or whatever it is along the road and be like, doesn't sound like Trash Boat. What happened? Is there a fear of that, that you're not developing a sound because mm. your your voice is constantly changing? I mean, I don't think it's changed to the point where it like sounds different. It just sounds like... It, it sounds like I can do what I've already been trying to do. So I'm not doing anything different. I'm just doing things that I didn't know how to do and was just trying because I was trying to emulate other vocalists. But now... I've got technique, I've got better technique and I can do it properly and more consistently and it sounds like more real. It doesn't right. sound like I'm trying to just force something that I don't quite know how to do. And like, you know, that's me being quite hard on myself and I'm sure uh, a lot of people who listen to the record would be like, no, nah, I mean, it sounds good. It, it sounds good. But now that I am performing the way that I'm performing and... I listen back to the old record and I'm just like, ah, oh, I mean, that's it. Just sounds like baby steps for me, which is great right. because it me like I'm confident that the next album is going to sound like more me, more real, more refined. Well, the next record, and I know you're already working on it because you played me a couple things and we had some discussion about lyric writing and everything. Um, it's a big record for you guys. It's got to be. Are you aware <laughs> of that? Because whenever I speak to a band that's on their first record, I, I mean, like I had. Um, Knocked loose on here, and over the you know the couple of years I've done this, I've spoken to people that have done their first record and it had success, and now it's like time for record number two. And I don't care who you are, everyone knows there's a lot of pressure on that record because I cannot think of a band, and if you can, I'd love for you to let let me know a band that has had an unsuccessful second record or fucked up their second record and has come back to have a successful career because I cannot think. Of a single band. There may not even be one. So that's just the way it is. And there's a lot of pressure. Um, you know. I think of bands that have fucked up their second record and... Faded away? Yeah. Uh, like who? Oh, I'm not going to talk shit. Why not? I, it's I not like, shit talking. It's like just true. Uh, it's not shit talking. We, even, we already started this with all the shit bands. You UK know what? Bands are I can't even talk. shit talk because it's not their second album. It was their third album. But it was Set Your Goals. Right. Set Your Goals had... Uh, yeah, Mutiny, I guess Mutiny was, was their second record, wasn't it? No, Mutiny was, oh, their, Mutiny first was their first record. record. And then they had, um, oh my God, why can't I remember the name of that record? Ah, uh, oh, that's going to drive me insane. It's okay, but we'll edit the this. The third record was... <laughs> we'll edit this so you see third, the third. <laughs> Okay, we won't edit this, it. This will be the death of us. This will be the death All of right. us. All uh, right, this will be the death of us. This will be the, and that was I'm not editing this. That was, <laughs> that was an absolute... Shining glory of a record, and then burning at both ends was their thing. Right, I record. think. I mean, every situation is different with every band, and you know, I don't think, I don't necessarily think that that was what happened with Set Your Goals, where they went away. And I'm, I'm very good friends with all those guys. Yeah, I um, fucking I, love that band. They're well. an amazing like, band. I'm not talking shit. An amazing band, and they're back and they're doing some stuff again. I can't wait. I think like there was probably it was more about issues with like, within the personnel of the band yeah, I, than it was about the music. Um, but you know the the classic ones are like for me the classic second record is Finch, mm. you know, um, which actually I went when I go back and listen to that record. Um, what is it called? Uh, Sunshine. Uh, Say hello to sunshine. Is that it? I can't I'm bad it. at titles. Um, you know that that's a record that like definitely didn't pop up like off like what it is to burn and the band was never the same. Mm. You know, um, 
there's a lot, a lot of bands that have had that happen to them. I mean, even my very good friends in Story of the Year, you know, they had a huge first record and their second record never did what, you know, and then, you know, the the band lost, you know, they still had a great career and they're still doing stuff too, but you have bands that, that they never recover from not following up their first record. Mm. And um, do you feel that pressure? I mean... Obviously, yeah, you're already I mean, like, thinking felt, about it. Do you have plans to, to record the record? Is there yeah, st- we, studio we, time we, slotted? Uh, not necessarily slotted. We're still discussing producers and studios. Uh-huh. We have, like, but it's not like we don't know what we're going to do. Like, we have, like, a few options. We just need to pick one. Um, for sure, I'm feeling the pressure, but, like, I was also feeling, like, you know, we were having, I was having these same discussions with people when we were writing our first record, and people were saying, like, this is your first record. You've got to make your mark. You've got to, like... You've, you've got to like make an impression and you know this is your first record it's important are you feeling the pressure and I'll be like yeah I'm feeling the pressure so I'm feeling yeah. the pressure with the second record as well but I'm more confident about this one because I, I'm just a, a better singer now so like sure. I feel less nervous about making something that's going to sound good the only thing I'm slightly nervous about I guess is that uh, yeah I, my lyrical style is quite like introspective it's quite like self-deprecating to an extent uh and like life recently has been going like kind of well like i haven't really got that many complaints right so i'm like uh struggling to like find some things to be sad about so i guess i could start writing really posy pop punk but that's probably just not gonna go i've got i've got like five or six decent topics but i need i need something to really upset me so i have something cool to write about it's and it's such a great conversation about that kind of stuff um i think for me too when i wrote my first record, I was, well, I was young, and I had a lot of like angst and teenage angst oh, and yeah. heartbreak and lack of understanding of what I was feeling or what I was going through, which, which I think was very relatable to people, and that's why they kind of understood my lyrics. And then you're right, as things go on, it beca- it starts becoming more retrospective because mm. you become smarter, you become understanding, and it's like I was still writing about the shit that happened to me on the first record, on the fourth record, yeah. just in a different way. Yeah. And in some ways, that was better. But I will say that that until our last record, when I really went through a hard time, it was hard for me to find that inspiration. Yeah. And and as much as like I don't want to admit it, I really do think some of the best lyrics do come out of a terrible situation. Yeah, like, and the thing is, it's it's not because I'm trying to, like, glorify a terrible situation, it's because it's, like, a cathartic release for that terrible situation. And totally. And, it, like, it's just poetic, isn't it? Like, you know, like, you can write... As poetic as nothing I write can change what you've been through? Oh, nothing I write you can change what you've been through. Got to get the rhyme in there. I said it, didn't I? Nothing yeah. I write you... Oh, you said nothing I write. You didn't get the you. Nothing I write you... Can change what you've been through. Oh, is it, oh, so it's a, it's supposed to be a little. There's supposed yeah, to be a like comma. A little, Nothing I write you can change what you've been through. I don't know. Think is of it, the is rhyme. It, is there a comma there? I don't know. Nothing I write you can change. Well, anyways, let's talk. <laughs> let's, it's 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 very a very interesting title, especially for a debut record. For sure. Like you know you know a lot of bands wouldn't go to such a. I don't know. Like it's not really a catchy title. Like Trash Boat comes out with this record. Like I don't know. What's a badass like like Empire or uh, we? Uh, what was I going to call it? Uh, that I, I was going to uh, there was a couple of ideas that I had. I was going to call it cautiously optimistic because I feel like that's how I feel. Or most. caution would be a good record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. cautiously but optimistic. I didn't think that rung well as an album title. It does no. This is this um, is somehow better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Uh, what was this, what else is going to be? I think Soupy suggested putting on war paint, which kind of has like it punches, but I, I didn't really feel like that. Putting was, on war paint. Putting on war paint. War paint would just war paint would be a decent record yeah, for a record. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I will say this about the title: nothing I write you can change what you've been through. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got it written down, so I'm good. Um, <laughs> it does make it very personal. Mm. It's 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 words that you're saying to somebody. And right away when someone hears that, they're going like, oh, he's like speaking directly to me. And I think that that is very reflective of the types of words that you write. Yeah. You know what I mean? You sure. you really are trying to put yourself out there in that way. Like, this is my experience and this is something I'm sharing. For sure. Like, personal experience is an important part of the writing for me uh, because it helps me. But what I try to do while I write as well is leave a lot of the themes expressed around this personal experience quite open-ended so that people can apply their own experiences and find some kind of you know like cathartic release by like embracing it mm-hmm. so i'm writing about things that are very personal to me and that you know people have asked me in interviews what like some songs are about and there are some songs that i'm happy to just go into the absolute detail and some songs that you know, I'm just like, yeah, I'm. You know, it's it's about this, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna discuss it because it's not just about me. Like, it's about people, like in my family or people that I know who probably wouldn't feel fully comfortable about me discussing what they're all about. Right, right. Uh, but leaving it a little bit more cryptic like that means that people can apply their own sure. experiences to it, which is very helpful for them and for me. No, totally. But like with the you know the classic. And I hate to say classic because I shouldn't downplay this because this is real life and real feelings. But, you know, people come up to you and saying, you know, your lyrics saved my life or your lyrics mean this much to me or they got me yeah. through a really hard time. Um, I think putting a title like that attached to your lyrics almost is begging people to do that in a way. Yeah. I mean, if that makes any sense. the But that's the thing that that title or you're saying or you're almost pushing that away before it starts well the title either way right the title was a lyric in a song before it was a before it was a title Ah, uh, yeah so that, it doesn't really matter yeah you still yeah, you, yeah. you then that even even more so something you're enforcing yeah so the, the um, sorry reinforcing i mean something you're reinforcing the lyric was originally uh it's about my dad and uh like we used to write each other letters when like we used to keep it old school we didn't like call or anything like that we wrote each other letters and well, he's, he was away or something? Yeah, he was like not a part of our lives for like a chunk of time. And we, we kept it OG with letters. Well, well, why? You said you had the most vanilla, boring childhood ever. That That's just one of those things. It's just, okay. one, it's just one of those things. Um, but that was a lyric that was about him. But then putting it, like you say, putting it as the album title was... Wow. Says nothing I write, you can change what you've been through, can apply to other people, and it can be me speaking to the fans, because as much as the lyric was about my dad and to my dad, it translates to other people, because like nothing I write in an album I understand it totally. can change what someone who is reading it and experiencing it has but been through. You just you just put a spin like that just blew my mind on it, because now yeah. I'm picturing your dad writing you this letter, Yeah, and that's what it is. It's not you writing... A letter to your dad. It's not you writing a letter to your fans, but now it is. There you go. So you've you've passed it forward, and that that's very powerful. And it's also saying to the fans of the music, like nothing I write on this album, totally nothing that you relate to, is ever going to change all the stuff that you're worried about. But like, see, that's what I that's when I read that. That's what I thought it meant. 
was yeah. you you making a statement to your fans or to the people listening to the record, not a statement that someone has made to you. Yeah, which yeah, is yeah. very very powerful and very interesting. And uh, I love I love how passionate you are and how much you care about lyrics. And I know you know just the other day you sharing a demo with me about some lyrics and how you know a little bit of in, inner interband kind of. Um, argument, I guess, for for oh, know, yeah. lack of a better that, word, that's, that's how albums um, are written. Albums are written is, through arguments, right? And <laughs> and, and um, the fact that you're very passionate about, like, nope, this is my fucking words, and this is what I mean, and I want to keep this the way it is. Yeah, um, is is very cool and very powerful, and I I wish all bands had that sort of, um, you know, what's the word? Just fuck care, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like I, the thing is I. I don't know. I just uh, there's there's something about writing lyrics that I just so virulently love and hate because <laughs> when, when, whilst I'm writing it, I'm always like, oh, this just sounds so wet and so stupid. But right. at the same time, like everything's everything's wet and stupid because you <laughs> wet and stupid. You, you, what's what's the word I'm looking for? You like you ham it up, don't you? You you poeticize it if that's yeah word. yeah like you make it you make you it ma- sound you nice. over dramatize it yeah but like yeah it's just to, so it like rings nicely and it doesn't change like the validity of it because you could say it bluntly but it just wouldn't really sound as nice but you can say the exact same thing but in a more like in a way that flows really well i think that's what people like uh la dispute I think the vocalist of La Dispute is, is, mm-hmm. is a genius. The way he constructs lyrics is incredible. Um, verse, I think Verse just did it really I love well. Verse. Oh, they're so good. Um, Trophy Eyes, I think John Floriani is a really, yeah. really good because he just like just the, just the way his lyrics read when you like read them and you're listening to the song, they're just great. And that's the kind of thing that I try and emulate. Like I want it to, I want it to like read powerfully. A lot of like melodic hardcore bands do it quite well as well. Like yeah. Counter, Counterparts do it really well. Um, Comeback Kid do it real good Andrew's yeah. a great lyricist it's a couple Canadian boys right there right my there. brothers uh, cool um, how was how was going to America for the first time and opening up for Newfound Glory I mean that is on a 20 year of pop punk tour like first of all shout out to Paul for getting you on that tour because that's wow that's Amen. worth uh, that's worth his payment <laughs> but uh, how was that just obviously a band you've known about it for a long time to be the only support band for something they're doing that's so, you know, was so huge and crazy. Yeah. How was that experience? That was, like, surreal. Surreal would be a good word. Like, it was something I just never expected. Because yeah. New- Newfound Glory were just, like, this kind of untouchable entity. Totally. That existed only on Kerrang! And, uh, you know, they would they were just, like, the titans. And then yeah. to be the only band, oh God, being the only band on that tour was so easy. It was sure. like the easiest tour ever. Like loading was cool. Uh, merch went really well because like we, even if we were getting like pity merch, it was our pity merch. You know? <laughs> well, you had so, the pity merch of like what would would have been four bands. It's just yeah, you guys. It was like, like any, anyone who was just like, oh, bless the little the young. pity merch. I've never heard that expression. That's yeah, well, very like, funny. Even, even if there was people who were like in their mid thirties, like, I don't think they don't care about like a new band. They'll just right. watch and they'll just be like, oh, bless them. We'll buy a shirt just just to just to keep them going. It's like hell yeah, that's a shirt right there, <laughs> twenty bucks. <laughs> hey, if it looks cool, are you ripping off the thrash? 
Thrasher logo. Everyone will love it. I, I'm <laughs> shocked that we haven't been. You got to rip off the Thrasher logo. It's got to happen. Yeah. More and more. Um, that's great, man. Um, well, I know you guys have a big announcement for Slam Dunk 2018. We just confirmed the which offer. is becoming a very, very big festival over the UK, especially for you know your scene. Absolutely, Slam Dunk um, is like I've been going to Slam Dunk coming up on ten years now. Wow, it's crazy. Maybe, it's maybe a little bit less years but that's existed. Yeah, so like cool. I think I don't know when the first Slam Dunk was. Because like, that could be bullshit. But I, I, I feel like we, well, we, so I remember we going to Slam like, Dunk like, like 2009. Years ago. But it was just, when we played, it was just Leeds. And I think it started, it was just Leeds, right? And now I, it's, you know what? I don't know. Saying ten, 10 years could be me chatting absolute shit because I should have just said like as long as I can remember. <laughs> because like. It's okay. No one, I don't think they're going to retract the offer and yeah, be yeah, like, yeah, no, he no, doesn't know I, how many years Slam Dunk's been a festival. I genuinely can just <laughs> remember going to Slam Dunk like a lot. Cool, and uh, I feel like I've been to most slam dunks because they're just—it's the best. So it's your first time doing it? No, no, no. This will be our third time. Your though. third time doing it? Yeah. But yeah. you're probably going to be billed all high, and it's going to be this crazy, crazy that show. That would be real cool. Awesome, awesome. And what else is coming up for you guys? Uh, well, we're gonna write. Like, we get home from this tour in like four days, and we are hoping to get to the studio for um, March-ish. But we have another America tour. Uh, coming up in January, which I don't know if I'll get in trouble for saying. I don't know when we're announcing it, but I, I assume if the, if I can say Slam Dunk, then I can probably say who we're touring with in the US. But I won't. if you can't, I'll just put a really big bleep over the band name. So yeah, who are you touring yeah, with? Seaway. Okay, we're, we're going out with Seaway in the US, uh, and that's January. So we need to have the album finished before we hit that, that tour because we're going straight from that tour into the studio. So we wow. have October, November, December, well, the rest of October and then November, December to write this album. We've got about three or four solid songs, but we need to write this album. Yeah. And we can. We can definitely do that. Yeah, I think so. Because as soon as we get home, we are going to just, like, just kill it. We're going to write every day. I'm going to be writing every day. I'm going to take, like, a few days off to chill. But I'm going to be writing every day. <laughs> and I need, to, I need to start watching some, you know, upsetting YouTube videos just to kind of get me in the mood to write some... Some well, writers. the world's a terrible place <laughs> right now. I mean? There's lots of things to write about, I, so you can though, harness I, some some sadness and some. I don't I like doing social commentary songs, though. I feel well, like... you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be that because you can take away. Here, here's the thing: social commentary or or political commentary or whatever you want to call it, just it changes too it, quickly. You can you like can definitely song. have that stuff trickle down into real personal uh, things. True, too. true. Well, like that that affect individual people, and sometimes that's something that you can you know but I, th I feel like there's trigger. when it comes to like social commentary lyrics I feel like there's this really fine line and on one side of the line is like verse and rage against the machine and like maybe a bit of rise against and on the other side of that line is just like pure garbage mm -hmm. and everyone tries so hard and like every time someone tries to like write the you know fuck the system fuck the world mm -hmm. it just like nine times out of ten it'll fall flat and anytime I catch myself thinking like, yeah, I'm going to write like a, like a fuck Donald Trump song or a, oh, the, the banks controlling the world or like, you know, fuck the Tory government. I just think like, uh, is it going to come off as just a bit like a bit dead? I don't know. I don't really have the... I know kind of, what you mean. Yeah. I don't I really have mean. like the, the, to my core, like anti-fascist resistance street level experience to legitimately be writing about that kind of stuff like I uh, 
if maybe if I'd have like been living on like the streets of London <laughs> and had been like involved in all that kind of, like I could you know I I involve myself wherever I can but I'm not like not like you know I don't think I it, it would ring true right. from me as much as it would from someone who has lived that kind of thing so I tend to just go for the more like I think it's good I mean I think you you know people want Toby Duncan to be Toby Duncan you do you and are already in a very short time you've had a great career where you spoke to a lot of people and I think sky's the limit for Trash Boat I would love and, that and uh, I look forward to your new record and all the best with the new year and the new tour with beep beep see way beep beep and, beep, beep. and then <laughs> second on up beep <laughs> uh, awesome man well hey thanks for taking the time and uh, yeah no worries Cheers. anytime there we go. We did it. Good stuff. We did it. So there it is with Toby. What an honest guy. I love that he just came right out with, with everything there. Um, please please go check out Trash Boat's first record. I cannot wait for their second record. They're one of my favorite new bands. Um, they're amazing. They got so much big stuff coming up. And the funny thing you know, about that Seaway tour is... We weren't supposed to announce it. I was supposed to actually, you know, like we joked about, beep it out because we weren't allowed to to announce the tour. Um, But now Seaway's tour has been canceled and Seaway is jumping on the Neck Deep tour. So I don't know what Trash Boat's going to do. So maybe that'll give Toby and the boys a little more time to write that very, very important second album. As always, I will leave you with a tune. Hey, thanks again, everybody, so much for listening to the show. If you like the show, feel free to go on iTunes, write a review. But most of all, tell a friend, tell a loved one. I think word of mouth really is what spreads this thing. I get emails all the time from people just saying, hey, I just found out about this. I know you're at episode like 105, but I just got into your show and I'm telling everybody about it and I'm all about it. And of course, if you want to get in touch, hit me up at leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com. Here is Trash Boat with Strangers, and this one features Soupy himself. So check it out. Here it is on Lee Singer Syndrome. Peace and love. See you next week. I won't hold you down.